You are listening to a White Ridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Amen. Hallelujah. Good to sing together. Well, dearly beloved, we are gathered here this morning. Oh, wrong sermon. I saw IBK and Phoebe sitting here. They got married two weeks ago, and I figured I was at a wedding. And then this afternoon, I'm going off to the gates to have uh, another wedding. Franco and Milena are getting married. Many of you know Franco Aiello. And so uh, he's falling this afternoon. And uh, just kidding. <laughs> he's going on. He's, he's, that's great. Praise the Lord. So it is great to see all these weddings. And uh, we, we bless the Lord. Well, this, after, uh, this morning as we... I am in this afternoon. <laughs> this morning as we continue, we're going to be... Uh, having a special uh, sermon this morning, and uh, three other guys are going to partake in it with me. So as I begin, instead of having you read scripture from your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen behind us, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me now. We're going to be reading it responsively, and so you'll notice that uh, some of us will be all together. Sometimes you'll be reading as a congregation. So let's stand together now, and let's read God's word to us this morning from Psalm 115. It's reading together. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, he is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will, he will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, and May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. May God bless you. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. You may be seated. The psalm that we've read is a part of what is called in the Hebrew Bible the Hallel, which means praise in Hebrew. It is part of a series of psalms that was especially popular to be used and sung at times of festivals and especially at Passover time. The author of Psalm 115 is not known, but most commentaries agree that, that this was a psalm that was written after the return of the exiles. You remember how the Babylon took captive the Israelites and captured Jerusalem, took them off to Babylon, and for 70 years they were in captivity. 
And then under new leadership, God organized that they could be returned to the land. And as they got back to Jerusalem, they found that Jerusalem had been destroyed. The walls were torn down. The temple was destroyed. And it was in terrible uh, shambles. As well as there were other peoples, pagan peoples, that had populated the area. And so Psalm 115 is this incredible mixture of emotion. There's joy at the fact that they are now back in Jerusalem again. This remnant has returned. And now we are in the place that the Lord has given us to worship Him. But there's also sorrow over seeing the, the, the uh, walls torn down, the, the temple in, in need of much repair and rebuilding, and the peoples around them who do not know the God of Israel. This hymn is a call to trust in God, to not trust in the gods of the nations around us. It is a call and a reminder that we can take no credit, just as Israel could take no credit for returning to Jerusalem. We can take no credit for any success in ministry or in influence. And it is a call to maintain a humble posture before the Lord if the legacy of faith is going to be passed on to our children in truth. And so as we thought about this Sunday and we considered what it was that we would like to share with you, this seemed like a good preface, a good meditation for our hearts to think on. I've mentioned, I've mentioned in the last couple of weeks that all of theology can be summed up in the two greatest commandments that Jesus said. We've been looking at those in the Gospel of Mark recently. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's that vertical arrow that represents that love relationship. And then to love your neighbor as you love yourself, that horizontal arrow which represents all other relationships. That's on which we've based our core values as a church, to love the Lord our God through Jesus Christ with all of our being and to love everyone in families, in community, cross-culturally, and so on. And so this is, this, is the, this is theology 101. This is the summation of all the law and the prophets, these two relationships. And in Psalm 115, we notice that verses 1 and 2 begin with a reflection of these two relationships as well. First of all, it says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory because of your love and faithfulness. This idea of giving God the glory, of recognizing His supremacy, His preeminence, His authority, His, his way above every way is, is paramount in our faith journey. And then following that, verse 2 goes on to say, Why do the nations say, where is their God? In other words, Israel is asking the question here, Why don't the peoples that live around us recognize the God that we worship, the God that we pray to, the God that we read of and, and, and know? Why don't other peoples know Him? And so let's take a look at these two lessons quickly before we continue in this service. First of all, as we talk about good growth in our church family, as we talk about trends, as we talk about ministry possibilities and future opportunities, as we talk about a building, let us remember that like Israel, the remnant that returned to Jerusalem after being exiled for 70 years, that it is all because of the goodness of the Lord, all because of the faithfulness of our God, that if we were to let, be left to our own devices, we would, like Israel then, be still in exile. 
we would be an ungathered people. We would be falling apart. We would be following other gods. We would be overcome with division and strife. We would have our enemies enslaving us. And we would not be shown favor by authorities that make things happen on earth. All of that would be true of us, just as it was true of Israel at the time of the return to Jerusalem, if it were not for the goodness and the faithfulness of God. We need to get that down deep in our hearts and know that. Know it experientially. That's what this scripture, I think, is teaching us. Repeat with me again. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. As the Israelites stood in Jerusalem that day, when they returned, I can imagine looking at the walls broken down, looking at the shambles that the temple was, and they recited and sung this song. Likely it's the song being sung in Ezra 6 at the rededication of the second temple being built. They recognized that it was not because of their their strength, their goodness, but because of the Lord's goodness and faithfulness. This is a critical piece, friends. The critical piece that we must always remember is that there exists a tension between moving ahead with strategy and wisdom, skill and good judgment, but also faith and humility and God-saturated prayer and holy fear and God-dependency. These two are not diametrically opposed. They fit together hand in hand. We must choose to go ahead in these two ways. We must be conscious of our story, but recognize how it fits with God's story. We must be conscious of how easily we can get our dirty hands on the holy things of God and mess them up. Just as we see happen in Israel's history so many times. And so we walk in holy fear. We do not usurp God's place. And we do not want Him to withdraw from us. I'm thinking of Joshua a lot these days. We're in, getting ready in the fall to study the book of Joshua. And I read just recently about the Gibeonite deception in chapter 9. You might remember the story. How this people that were neighbors, going to be neighbors in Canaan to the Israelites deceive Israel by pretending that there are people far away and they ask to make a treaty. And so they actually take old wineskins and moldy bread and they come up to Israel pretending that they've come a long journey. And what does it say in, in Israel? Joshua and the leaders of Israel, chapter 9, 14, it says the men of Israel sampled their provisions, but they did not inquire of the Lord. You see, that's a picture of a people that are being run by sensory perception alone. That's a people that are being driven by, we can make these judgments, we can do this, we can handle it, we can manage ministry, but not to inquire of the Lord. There's a tension here, and we, determine, we need to be determined to walk in the tension of knowing God's leading. And so the second lesson that comes from verses 2 and 3 is this horizontal arrow, arrow, this idea of the relationship with the peoples around us who say, where is their God? The question is asked in verse 2. It's answered in verse 3. Israel says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Well, he is indeed in heaven, but is he not also on earth? And does he not respond to the prayers of his people and to the faith of his people? And one of the features that we see uh, throughout Scripture is this 
idea of pagan peoples, people who do not count God as part of the equation, recognizing the reality of a living God because of the exploits that he does on behalf of his people. And so they cross through the Red Sea and all the peoples hear about it. And they, they survive 40 years in the wilderness with nothing to live on and peoples hear about it. And they cross through the Jordan into the land of Canaan and the peoples are struck with fear. Why? Because God is acting on behalf of his people. And if his people never step forward in faith, that God would never be portfolioed ahead of the eyes of all pagan nations that are watching to see what kind of God is this? And so as they enter Jerusalem in Psalm 115, perhaps all the Sanballats and Tobias are throwing and hurling their criticisms. What kind of a God would let you go be taken captive for 70 years? What kind of a God would let his temple be looking like this? And so they're responding by saying, why do the nations say, where is their God? Once again, they're asking, God, do it again. God, bring back your glory. Stay with us. And so the answer to the question, why do the nations say, where is their God, has two sides. One side is that on the unbelief of the nations, they might be asking the question because they just do not want to acknowledge the living God and Jesus Christ, his son. But the other side of the equation might be very much upon us. In other words, people might be saying, where is their God? Because we, the people of God, are not living in the faith of God and acknowledging that we indeed walk by faith and not by sight. You see, there are many, there are many groups in Winnipeg that have management and money, and they can do great things. But the church of Jesus Christ must have not only good management and money to do things, but they must have faith in God that leads us always forward into whatever it is that he is leading us toward. And so, stepping out, both what we do and how we do it should testify that we follow a true and living God and we display his power and his love as we do so. The atheist and German philosopher that was made known had made known the God is dead uh, phrase, Friedrich Nietzsche, once said this to Christians. He said, he said, if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, then you are going to have to look a lot more redeemed. You see, that's it, folks. Sometimes the nations are asking, where is their God? Because the people of God are not really stepping out in faith and showing through their weakness the power of God. And so as we proceed into the future, we do not want people to see in this neighborhood and community, well, what can a people, a group of people that are organized and have good management and some money do? We want them to see what can an almighty God do through insurmountable odds and through all kinds of difficulties, and what can he do to bring glory to his name in a community in Winnipeg. So would you say again with me, the Psalm 115, in good, good voz alto, as they say in Spanish, in good loud voice, would you say it with me again, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Amen. We're going to have three people come. First of all, Dave, Dave Wynn, our moderator, is going to come and share a past story 
Secondly, Chris Schrader is going to come and share a present condition. And thirdly, Lyle Lowen is going to come and share future steps. Would you come, Dave? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. As Terry mentioned, I'm going to share with you just a little bit about the past. But to start with, I'm going to share from a very personal perspective. Some of the people who have worked closely with me in the last number of years have expressed reservations at my strong support for moving ahead with building on the McGilvery property. And they were right to do so. Others have, on the other hand, have uh, told me that I need to share this story with you so you can understand why I feel the way that I do. The driving reason why I feel we need to build is because I believe that God gave us that land. And if that's true, I don't have an option but to honor his gift and use it as he intended it. Many of you, maybe even most of you, do not know the story behind how we acquired the land, so I thought I would share with you this morning. Twelve years ago, our church was fairly full, not as full and busy as it is today, but still fairly full, and we put together a facilities planning committee to look at our options. The committee was made up of Ralph Dyke, Milton Kelm, Eric Bergman, and Al Donald. They conducted a survey very similar to what we did last fall, and interestingly enough, with many of the same results and conclusions. The major outcome was that we should seek out some land that would allow us to grow and increase and expand our ministries. The desire was to stay close to this locale because we had built up a very strong presence and relationship within White Ridge. So the search started. They estimated that we would need about 10 acres in order to put up a building and provide all the parking that was required. There weren't a lot of options in order to stay close and the cost was going to be fairly high. If you drive out to the corner of Columbia and McGilvery back here, you will see a Roman Catholic church being built on the southwest corner. The facilities planning committee started looking at the segment of land immediately west of there and extending almost all the way to the railroad tracks. But what they were dealing with was the parcel of land that you see up behind me. It was 16 different parcels of land owned by 16 different groups or individuals and it became quite the challenge to try and pull this parcel together. Some of the people, including a couple who attended our church, lived in houses on that land and were reluctant to leave their home of many years. Others were speculating on the land and were willing to sell, but at inflated prices. Some were owned by developers to build homes and they were not really all that interested in selling to a church. So the negotiations were complex, very time consuming, and looked like they were going to be quite expensive. So almost two years later, 10 years ago this month, Ralph Dyke, who was chair of the facilities planning committee, was walking across the package of land, trying to decide how they might move forward because things had bogged down, and he wasn't sure that they were going to be able to accomplish the task. As Ralph stood there pondering, he was looking across McGilvery at the Lafarge Cement Office Building, and Ralph had a thought or maybe guidance from the Lord. He walked across the, Lord, across the road and onto the, the office and 
asked if the manager was in. Now, it was very unusual for that manager to be around because he was on the road a lot. But he was in that day, and he actually had a few moments to talk to Ralph. When Ralph sat down with Ken Ross, Ralph asked if perhaps Lafarge was thinking about selling any other property. Ken was surprised and asked Ralph how he knew that they were considering selling off some land. And Ralph just replied, because Ken had just told him so. So the relationship started. Notice that I didn't say negotiations. Because Ralph then cultivated a friendship with Ken, and they started working together to see how things could be worked out. But not everything was straightforward. It was actually Lafarge employees who had started the Fort White Center. And Lafarge still had an attachment to Fort White and wanted to protect the center from anyone who would be on adjacent property. So the negotiations were three-way. Lafarge, ourselves, and making sure that the Fort White Center was happy with the terms of sale. That led us to another relationship there, wherein we agreed not to build a multi-level building that would detract from their nature center, and also putting into the registration of the property that it could be used for church use only. That was our suggestion, not theirs, and was aimed at continuing to build the relationship. When it came down to price, Lafarge agreed to sell us the land at around $52,000 per acre, well below what they could have received at the going market rate. Then as we went through all the checks and balances on transferring the property, it was discovered that there were a large number of kiln bricks from old, old ovens spread over the property. Lafarge immediately took responsibility and brought in crews at a fairly significant expense to have them all cleaned up and removed before the sale was finalized. Then when the sale was finally settled, we were hit with another ugly surprise. The city of Winnipeg hit us with a development tax on the transfer of title in the amount of $164,000. This was not something that we had foreseen and was quite a shock. But our friends at Lafarge stepped forward once again and contributed $75,000 towards that tax bill, and the sale went through. There were many other little things that happened, but I've tried to give you some of the highlights of what transpired. And through all of this, as I saw one thing after another fall into place, I saw the Lord's hand in it. He directed the, fil uh, the Facilities Planning Committee and he seemed to work on the hearts and minds of those we dealt with in putting it all together. And therefore, I believe that God gave us this land and that we need to use it to his honor and glory. Now, a small addendum to all of that is the fact that that designation of church use only that we stuck on the property, that was the main reason why we got the reduction in our taxes last year when we went back on our appeal on our tax base. Now, in the last few years, I've actually had a number of requests from organizations. The Oasis Church has contacted me twice, the Sikh Center down the street, as well as a number of others, asking if we were willing to sell our land to them. And, of course, the answer was no, because we were still looking at using that. And uh, when we did buy that land 10 years ago, I believe it was within about three years that we had that land completely paid off. So the land is ours. The money that we have in our capital funds is towards building. So that's what happened in the past. That's why I feel the way I do. And I'm going to ask Chris Schrader to come now and to talk to us about where we're at right now as we continue to look towards the future.
Thank you, Dave, for taking us back into those. Uh, how many of you were around when all this was happening? Put your hands up if you recall that story. So there are a good number of people who had not heard that, so thank you for sharing that. And I know Karen and I were talking back and forth about recalling some of those dates and that tax bill. I remember that was quite the shock. I'm blessed this morning to represent these fine individuals uh, that you see on the screen, our ministry needs assessment team. This is the team that was uh, brought together would have been just over a year ago uh, to look at the needs of this church, to survey our church congregation, and to get a sense of where it is we needed to be heading as a church. After being assembled during the months of July and August, and you look at that, we're pretty diligent working over the summer, hey? Um, strategy and tools were created uh, to develop a survey, which many of you will have participated in. Once that survey was completed, we took the data that had been provided and we did an initial presentation to the uh, Board of Church Governance who wanted a little more clarification on some of the points that we were coming in with. We had a retreat, and I put it in quotation marks because it was in my living room for a day on a Friday. Uh, we stay on budget, us committees, right? Uh, but it was a blessing and an opportunity to sit down with the information that you had provided, to truly pray over it, to get a sense of what it is that uh, that the Lord was telling us through the results. And then we did a final presentation to the board. And now this morning, uh, we are here to share some of that information with you. And I have to, as a side note, say that each member of that team, um, those of you who are here today, I see some of you, um, it really became a time of, of prayerful consideration. I believe um, we all became good friends during that that time. And it was it was very interesting pouring through the information that had come together. So let's get right into the recommendations that were provided. Um, there are 11 of them for those keeping track. So the first one, uh, the first recommendation that came through loud and clear is that we needed to safeguard our pastoral team. Worship and uh, uh, sermons and messages were, were coming in at the top of, of why many of you are attending this church, why many of you have remained. It was a, a, a key indicator as to um, what the health of this church looks like. And so uh, one of the key recommendations that was provided was to uh, ensure that our senior pastor and our pastoral team are supported and protected in their ministry and that uh, people are brought around them to do the day-to-day the -day, um, in, in ensuring that they, they can uh, continue on with their, their focus. The second recommendation that came through is to develop and implement a model to build a strong youth ministry. It was loud and clear that youth ministry is important to this church, and it has been over the years. Karen and I were figuring it out the other day, and we've been attending for over 17 years, and we now have children who are going into this ministry, and it's important for us as well. And it came through very clear that that was on the heart of many of you. Even if you didn't have youth, um, you saw the importance of youth being engaged in this church. And so steps have been taken already uh, since that, uh, that initial um, survey went out and the results came through. There have been some adjustments uh, to the youth program. Um, there were changes made to the youth leadership program back in the fall of 2012. And now Doug has uh, shifted to become an overseer of three programs, the WAVE, which are, is for grades uh, 5 to 8, the WAY for grades 9 to 12, and then college and career. So we will be continuing to uh, 
evaluate. I know the pastoral team is focusing on that as well. We all see how important youth ministry is here for our church. The next uh, recommendation that came through was that we develop and evaluate our communication strategy. There were a good number of you who didn't feel like you were getting the information you needed, maybe did not feel connected in regards to getting the information that was required to know what was happening here at the church. And quite honestly, some leaders who were saying, I'd like to do stuff, but I don't know how to get the word out. So what we've developed as a communication team, many of you have been tapped on the shoulders already by myself, as I'll be representing that area of ministry on behalf of the Board of Church Governance. And uh, you'll see announcements in the next while, including an online um, directory, which you will have received information on. If you haven't received that, let us know so that we can get the details on how to set that up, as well as social media, uh, video ministry, and such. So that will be occurring, and you'll, get it, you'll hear announcements about that over time. The fourth recommendation is to increase focus on cultural and community connections and to continue to grow in this area, including our before and after school programs, English conversation circles, uh, which I've been hearing and have, have personal testimony of individuals who have attended and are so blessed by that ministry. Missions activities, including our assessment trip to Bolivia, India, uh, a trip to India, Garden Hill, and Pathway Ministries this year. And it was just clear in what your responses were that cultural and community connections was important uh, to you as a congregation. The fifth recommendation that came out was that ministries need to provide cross-generational mentorship and discipleship opportunities. We want to be part of a family. And if you look at your own family, um, there are different ages, different backgrounds, different uh, involvements that many in your family will have. And that's the same here as a congregation. We need to integrate. We need to be working with multiple age groups and uh, looking at mentorship and leadership. I know that there are initiatives already around that. The sixth recommendation is to continue to grow a deliberate missions mindset towards our communities. It's an area I've been blessed to serve in over the years, and I know we just heard about how Love Winnipeg has impacted our community and how uh, even our M uh, MLAs, MPs, MPs have, uh, have noticed the, what has been happening um, here uh, as a church here in Winnipeg, and so that we wish to continue to focus in that way. The seventh recommendation is to develop a plan to further develop and strengthen our corporate prayer ministry. That will look different. Um, in the stages of this church's life, for those who have been here for a while, I know prayer has been an emphasis, and in, di in different ways we've been addressing that. And uh, what we've come up with is just ensuring that in our existing groups, that prayer is at the, at the forefront, and as well to encourage corporate prayer uh, here as a congregation. The eighth recommendation was to continue to identify and implement new methods to connect and engage any newcomer to our church. Those walking through the doors of our church for the first time are faced with things that we don't fully understand for those who have been attending for, for some time here. And many are at the invitation of others, and we just feel it's important that we look from the perspective of someone who's walking in this door in our doors for the first time and to uh, truly consider what that looks like. The ninth recommendation is to continue to evaluate the effectiveness of small group ministries. And I know that a plan is in place to take a look at where we are at this point to uh, talk, uh, to discuss a life group program and to plan for the fall. And uh, there'll be announcements about that over the next few weeks and months. 
The 10th recommendation is to assess new ministry opportunities identified as important. And because we had such a great response, for those who are on the ministry needs assessment team, you'll, you'll understand when we say there was such a wide variety of ministry opportunities that we could be stepping into, and we have presented all of them uh, to the board and to, the, uh, and to the, uh, the pastoral team. But we're also looking at ensuring that the ministries we have now are relevant and ensuring that uh, when there is a, an opportunity to serve, uh, in particular if you feel you have a heart for something, that we encourage people to stand up and to step forward and to serve in that way. And the final recommendation, given the evaluation of the significant responses that were received as part of this process, the discussions that occurred as a result, and the prayers of the Ministry Needs Assessment Team and the Board of Church Governance is this. Number 11, that we actively explore opportunities to address the issues related to lack of usable space and effectiveness in our existing facilities. And I'll ask Lyle to come up and share a little bit further in that regard. Let me personally say the responses from you as a congregation were inspiring, challenging, and encouraging, and I'm personally excited about the journey that we have together as a church. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. I have the privilege of uh, talking about the future, although in my talk is a little bit about the past as well. But uh, I have the privilege of talking about recommendation number 11. And in case you didn't understand the verbiage, it's really saying, look at a new building, is what it's saying. So there's the, there's a recommendation and there's a, sign with our property or a sign on the new property over on McGilvery. Um, the board has been, ever since I've joined the board, which has been, I don't know, four or five years ago maybe now, um, th this has been an ongoing discussion, the McGilvery property, obviously. Um, and, and it's just recently that we've decided, we've, we've spent a lot of time in prayer and discussion about it, we, we needed to focus this. And, and I just want to take you through some of the considerations that the board had as we, as we looked at this, uh, this, this issue. Number one was Dave's story. So in other words, the history. Um, really, really important to look back. And uh, you can tell Dave is passionate uh, from a personal standpoint about what's happened in the past. And it's, um, it's good to look back and see what God has done for us. The other thing was listen to God's people. And, and we chose to do that uh, to a large extent through the Ministry Needs Assessment Survey. And thank you to all of you who have participated in that. Um, we had some really good responses. And just so you know that on the question of a new facility on the McGilvery property, there was 50% of the respondents that were fully supportive and eagerly awaiting um, a new facility to be built. There was another 36% of the respondents that were open to the idea and, and willing to be led uh, or, or informed about this and willing to be led down that. And then on the other side, there was actually 6% that said they were not in favor at all. So there was 86% that I'd say were positive, and there was 6% that were against it, and the rest, I have no idea what they were, what they were thinking. Attendance trends. So we considered attendance trends, uh, which is important. Um, so I just have a, a quick graph up here. Uh, 20, 2013, uh, sorry, 2011 is the blue, I think. I'm colorblind, but 2011 is blue. The red one is the 2012, and the green year-to-date is 2013. So you can see that our attendance has been steadily growing. 
And I think it's, it's largely based on the Bible-based teaching that we have here that our pastoral staff is giving us, uh, as well as the worship we have, and as well as the kingdom-building focus uh, that our church is, um, has embarked upon. So, uh, so these uh, just attendance statistics. Uh, the next one is some financial trends. And this is by all means not exhaustive, but I'm just trying to give everybody just a high-level look at, at some of the stuff the board has considered. Um, so some financial trends, and I'm just going to give you some revenue lines here. In 2009, the revenue for the church was just over half a million dollars. In 2010, it was almost $600,000. 2011, it was $614,000, nearly. Uh, in 2012, it was $677,000. So as the needs, as the ministry needs of the church have been brought forward to the congregation, uh, God's people have responded. And it's, and it's enabled the, facility, the, the ministry needs to be fulfilled in the church. Uh, the last thing I want to just talk about is personal conviction, of course. So on the board, everybody needed to, needed to go through this. You know, what's our personal conviction to this? What's our... What's our uh, commitment to this, and I, I won't speak for the other board members, but I'll give you a little bit of uh, about my journey, as I as I considered where my where my conviction and uh, uh, commitment was on this. So, in any project, there's always laggards and early adopters, right? There's th those that are just all gung ho and want to go, and then those that are always just sitting in the back and naysayers. And on this one, this isn't usually me, but on this one, I was definitely a laggard. I always um, uh, when, the, when the conversation came up, when the issue came up, I was always the one putting on the brakes and saying, hold on here, let's just, let's be careful of this, this is a big deal. And, and the reason for that was, is I had a, I had the, I like to say privilege, except it was very hard. I had the privilege of being involved in another, leading another building project in a different church. And it was, um, it actually went really well. Uh, we put it before the Lord and, and we came out with a brand new church building, debt free, the money was all in the bank uh, before we started, um, and that part was good. It was hard, but it was good, and it was fulfilling. But right after that, uh, as we all know, Satan never gives up, and, and, and struggles came, and the church just declined, or the attendance and the joy, I think. And, and so it doesn't, so I think bricks and mortar, that's, not, that's nothing. It, it didn't really help. So, so I, had some, I, I had some caution within me about that as well. And the other thing that I struggled with was, can't we find a better way to spend millions of dollars? Like, surely. I mean, we're ministry-focused. Can't we find ways to spend millions of dollars better than bricks and mortar or one McGilvery? And so I needed to battle. You know, I need to struggle with those thoughts and think, so what, what, what kind of ministry focus will we get out of a building? How does that actually help us? The other thing I didn't have was any of the emotion I guess emotion is the right word, uh, connected with the Dave's story or, or that history because I wasn't here at the time. So I didn't have that. So I didn't, I, I, I think I've heard Dave's story now quite a few times. <laughs> so, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I appreciate it. I didn't at first, but I do now. I, I appreciate it because it's, it's important to hear, it's important to hear how God has led in the past. And, and, I, and I start to feel that now. I start to appreciate that. Um, the one thing, so as the board looked at it, the one thing I was comfortable with was, was the way that the board approached it and that the prayer, uh, the, the uh, individual and corporate prayer that we put into it and the process that we followed. I was, I was comfortable with the fact that we were going to ask God's people uh, what they thought, even though it had been done in the past, to ask them again. 
what it was. And I was, I was just willing to go with an open hand on, on, on where the Lord led us um, after that information came through. So uh, that I was comfortable with and that I was committed to do. Um, I was also very comfortable with the leadership, the pastoral leadership of our church right now. Their, uh, I, the, the ministry, uh, the Bible-based teaching and the ministry focus and the kingdom, kingdom building, I think that's, I mean, that's what we were about. And, and that's important that our, as we think about a new facility, that there's no, there's no faltering in that. And I was comfortable that, that I was confident in our staff that we could carry that through. So I shifted my opinion. I did the 180. And I think because wise men change their minds, not really, but I did change my mind, and, and I'm fully supportive of it uh, at this time. So I think each of you, although the battle's not over, uh, the big battle's just starting. Uh, from my history, I know that Satan will not, uh, not give up. He'll, he'll continue fighting against us and against this, uh, but God is bigger. So each of us in some way is going to have to figure out what our conviction, what our commitment to this is, and, and we'll take some commitment, absolutely, from everybody. Uh, but I'm confident that God is big and, and, and he'll guide and direct us through this. Oops, let's get through this. So board's response to the recommendation, the recommendation to build. Board is supportive. So I wrote this during the week and then I, I saw it this morning. I thought we're supportive. No, no, we're fully aligned. Supportive is kind of weak. Sounds like we may just withdraw that support. But we're, the board is fully behind this. We're engaged in this. We're committed to the process. Uh, we're not committing to spending money today. I'll, I'll show you what our commitment is. But we're fully committed uh, to moving this project forward right now. Uh, we will establish three teams. Number one is the prayer team. And uh, I'm just going to give you a high-level look mandate, sort of the mandate that we're going to give to each of these teams. So you have an understanding. It's, it's not exhaustive, but it's, it's, it's a bit of a look at what the mandate will be. So the, for the prayer team is to develop and facilitate an individual and corporate prayer plan in order to ensure the building project is bathed in prayer, ensure the individual and corporate prayer is leading all decisions and milestones, and ensure this project continues to be kingdom-building focused. So that's what our prayer team is going to be tasked with. The next one is a building team, obviously. We need a building team to develop and implement a building plan that will enable the ministry needs identified by the ministry needs assessment and also be aligned with our core values, be it in adherence with restrictions on a McGilvery property, and there are several, many of those actually, so we need to respect Lafarge and uh, Fort White Center, our neighbors, uh, so we need to sure that happens, and of course to be fiscally responsible in that approach. And the last one is the capital funds team to develop and implement a capital fund raising plan that will raise the funds needed to facilitate the completion of the building plan. So those are three teams that we are going to be putting together. And here's a bit of a timeline so you, um, so you can hold the board accountable. You know what our expectations are and, and we're setting your expectations to a certain extent. Um, so this is today. We're presenting this to your congregation today. Uh, July 16th, we have another board meeting. At that time, we're going to complete, we're going to uh, flesh out the mandates complete those for each of the three teams. July 30, by July 31, we want the team leaders of those three teams selected. The board wants to have that done. By August 31st, we want the team leaders together with the board uh, to have the teams selected. So I think uh, as you consider what we're moving into and if you pray about it and, and you feel 
uh, that you have a gift or a skill or the Lord is calling you to be a part of one of these teams, uh, the board, myself, or the, someone else on the board would love to hear from you. And, um, and otherwise, we'll be also be tapping some people on the shoulder that we feel would be able to, would help in this respect. Uh, and sometime in September, we're going to have a sort of a commissioning and prayer. One of the Sundays, we'll take some time to pray for these teams and sort of get them on the right path. And in October, uh, the, these teams are going to come back with a preliminary report to the board. And really, if you saw in the mandates, the first part of the mandate is actually to cre create a plan. And that's really what we're going to be looking for. What is the prayer plan? What's the high-level building plan with some timelines? And what's the high-level you know, high capital fund raising plan? Just to get a sense of where, where those various teams uh, want to go. And then in November, we have an annual church meeting. At that time, uh, there will be a report from each of these teams back to the, congr back to the congregation about, uh, about the progress that they've made and, and, and what the vision looks like going forward. That's, um, that's my portion of it. Uh, it's very exciting to be able to move forward in something like this, and, um, and, and we certainly are going to have to trust Lord for take care of us as, as we go through it. And uh, Dave, I'll call you back up here. Thank you, Lyle. I'm going to ask the uh, board members and the pastoral staff if they'll come up here and join me, please. What you have heard is how the leadership of your church is looking for us to move forward. But it is not the people that you see standing up here that are doing it. Um, it is us corporately and collectively as the family of White Ridge Baptist Church because we are all in this together to serve the Lord. So I'm going to ask you at this point in time if you would stand with me and we're going to do the most important thing in this process. We are going to go to prayer and I'm going to ask a number of you if you will lead out in prayer towards this decision that we have made to honor God. Father, we're just so thankful that you continue to work through us. And now I'm going to ask if our respective board members would pray for the three committees that will be forming. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this day. This is a special morning. And Lord, as I reflect on my past with this church, I was here 50 years ago, and I remember when there was two of us in the service, and when I see where we are today, it's overwhelming. And Lord, I know that you are a faithful and giving God, and as we think ahead to our future, I pray especially today for the building committee, or for the capital funds committee, Lord, that you would raise the right people to be on this committee, and the most talented person for that job as the um, leader of the committee. I just pray that you would um, give them unity and uh, all the things that they need to perform their tasks, Lord. And we just realize this could be an overwhelming um, figure that we are looking at we, when we are looking at our church. But if we know that, Lord, that you are a God of the impossible or of the, and will perform the possible, Lord, and so we just commit it to you and, and just ask that you would lead and guide and uh, just especially bless this committee as we, as we come together, and I pray this in your name.
Father God, we come to you as your children and we ask you to set our path straight. We acknowledge our dependence on you for everything and you are good and you are generous and gracious. Father, we ask for wisdom and direction as we look to the future and we ask that you keep us humble so we will continue to rely on you for wisdom in making right decisions and uh, the proper actions to take as we court, as we chart a new course. Father, all things depend on you. We acknowledge that. And we pray for the prayer team, that they would uh, challenge us to be a, truly a people of prayer, that all of these decisions, everything that comes up uh, in the future with this plan would be bathed in prayer. And not just this, but every aspect of our life as a church family. Father, for the leader of this team and for the other team members that make it up, we ask that you would bless them, embolden them, empower them to challenge us to be truly people of prayer so that we as a church here in White Ridge would bring glory and honor to your son, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for today and I thank you for the church family that we have here and thank you for the freedom you've given us to worship you freely here. Lord God, we thank you mostly for your son, Jesus that died and so he can give us life. God, we, we ask you for the uh, building team and we, we pray that you raise up the, the right leadership, Lord, and you provide them with wisdom, with courage to ask the right questions and to answer the right answers. And Lord God, we ask you mostly for your Holy Spirit to be with them every step of the way. And God, we ask you, we pray for unity as well between those three teams together and for our church family and for our leadership to be united in, in one, one uh, aspect, and that's your kingdom, to further your kingdom, Lord, because you are worthy, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we are your sheep, your people, and we come before you seeking your will. Direct us and, and guide us, and we will follow towards the end that you have planned. Allow us to lift our hearts and our minds in praise and worship unto you. And let it be seen by those around us. You have granted us the opportunities to share with our community and even around the world. Help us to build on that. You have helped us to lift your name on high and to allow other people to see that. Help us to build on that. And Father, you have allowed us to see clearer our own hearts in relationship to you. And thank you for continuing to work on us, in us, and through us as we continue to be the people of your church. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. For we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.